Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our host and star of this show, Jerry Truppiano. This is On the Record with Jerry Truppiano, episode 393 on our network. Before I turn it over to Jerry to introduce our great guest today, we got a packed show. Just want to thank a couple groups. First, our audience. We appreciate your support. Closing in on 62,000 right now. I challenge you to hit 60 before Christmas. Looks like we're going to hit 62 by the end of the week. We appreciate your support. You guys know what to do. Five stars, write some great comments underneath. We battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball. So help us out. We'll keep climbing the charts of iHeartRadio Podcast Network. Second, Blackout Coffee. Their slogan is Be Awake, Not Woke. If you're looking for coffee for the holiday, Jerry Trupiano, it's on you. Uh, 20% off at checkout. Um, Jerry, what's your code? For JRT twenty, J E R R T twenty, capital J E R T. So J E R T caps twenty twenty percent off at checkout. And rumor has it he's going to cover coffee for the whole year of twenty twenty four. So take care of your coffee lovers at Christmas. And to our buddy Ted Kubiak, he asked me. He said we were doing too good a job of selling his book, but we're going to get it one more week. Old School and How to Field a Ground Ball. Great stocking stuffers for your baseball lover. It's on my bookshelf. It should be on yours. So Ted Kubiak, three-time world champion, shortstop for the Oakland A's. Get his book at Christmas time. With that, Jerry, welcome back to your show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Dave. And, and we've got a great guest for this episode, number 393. Dan Shaughnessy, columnist for the Boston Globe, well-known around the country, well-respected around the country. Uh, you've seen him on uh, television. You've probably read him in the Boston Globe. And Dan, we really appreciate you giving us some time tonight. How are you? Everything's going good, Troop. How about yourself? Yeah, we're hanging. We're, we're hanging in. You know, as I, as I looked at, just some put down some notes to talk with you about, one thing struck me about, and I want to zero in on what I consider the three biggest or most popular sports in the country today. Uh, in no particular order, baseball, football, basketball. If there was, and something struck me, if there was any doubt that college sports, professional sports are big business, I think 2023, this year, if there was ever any doubt, wipe that out because so many things involved in sports this year involve the business end of it. Would you agree or disagree? Uh, absolutely true. And it makes me sad, but it's, it's the reality. It's the fact. And I, I mean, I think those of us inside always felt this way. Uh, but certainly now there, there's no pretense any longer. Yeah. Including college sports. And I know in our area of the country where we're residing right now, maybe college sports doesn't get the big play it gets in other parts of the country, but it, it seems that chasing the dollar has really taken over that industry. Yeah, they've, they've you know they've stripped away all <laughs> all the all the falsehoods about student athletes and you know be true to your school and loyalty to this and that. It's it's strictly uh, it's it's television programming. It's big business. The betting's a factor, and and um, I I really almost want zero to do with it. I I, I pay little attention. I do the minimum. I'll tune into the Rose Bowl. I mean, I want to see the Michigan, Alabama, but I don't follow it real closely. And and it saddens me to think about, you know, like coaches at some of the like in basketball, for instance. You know, like you can't keep a kid if 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 you're a fledgling program and you get a good surprise player, he's gone. And uh, I just and and the notion that 
the other students in the college really don't have any connection to these athletes. It's just, it's a farce. So it is what it is. And that's why I like the pros because we know what we're dealing with there and there's no pretense of, of anything, but uh, whereas with the college thing, they're still kind of clinging to this sort of amateur notion that it's innocent and it's, uh, you know, school spirit and all that. And none of that's, none of that's true anymore. Yeah. Bula Bula is gone. It's, it's, it's chase the green. The, uh, since you mentioned professional sports and it's something you talked about earlier and mentioned it earlier, what, what's your thoughts on, on the gambling now, the, the gambling and it's, it's part of the commercials. It's part of the drop-ins during sporting events. What's your thoughts? Well, we're just bombarded with it. And again, it's never been part of my world. I know it's out there. And of course, you know, you and I came up through the ranks, certainly in baseball where it was a cardinal sin and, and, uh, couldn't go anywhere near it. And now MLB's partners with it. And Rob Manfred's basically promoting gambling and, and partnering with, with the gamblers. And I, I, you know, you, you just, there'll be trouble down the road on this. And, and I think uh, all the, the targeting of, of young, young men in particular college age and, and, and just after it's going to be untold, you know, losses and hardships uh, to be paid for that. Cause I mean, guys won't won't control themselves, and it, it's. I look at it much like the the drug, the drug industry. You know, the uh, you know guys getting hooked on cocaine or whatever. To me, this is this is a drug, and the way even the way they offer it. Hey, five dollars for the first bet, and the, the next two hundred's free. And that's how they used to get kids, you know, hooked on stuff in the playground. First one's free. You know, it, I don't know. It's just I, I hate the whole thing. It's I, I. It's the reality. I get it. It's big business and. And it's it's here to stay, and and there's no sense pushing back on it. But I don't have to like it. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. You you cut your teeth in this business. You you were a, a beat writer in baseball. Do you still have a Hall of Fame vote? I do. Yeah, I expect uh, I expect to forever because I still see a lot of games and I still write a lot of columns and I'm very active. I, there's sort of a new initiative with uh, the baseball writers where if you don't stay active, you get broomed off the, off the vote. And I don't anticipate unless they change the rules. I don't anticipate that happening because I'm, I'm very much active. Not like I was when I was young and doing the beat, but um, I see a lot of games and I go to spring training and I write about baseball a lot. And, and, you know, the people that we're voting on now, I, I covered a lot of them, you know, personally. So, uh, that's something it's, it's become a, a hard thing to do and nobody wants to hear us complain about it, but it, the joy of, of, of that vote, it's just starting to come back now, Troop, where we're, we're, we're getting candidates where there's not a lot of ancillary steroid stuff attached to them. And uh, we can kind of go back to the old baseball arguments, which is a lot more fun. The reason I asked about the hall of fame vote on the heels of the gambling, do you think, what we are seeing now with gambling and especially being associated with baseball, even to the point where some ball clubs adjacent to their playing facilities have, have, for lack of a better term, betting parlors there. (laughs) Is that going to impact Pete Rose at all or should it? Well, Pete should get a really good lawyer and go back to work on this thing. I mean, it's, it's never been, they're not really subject to the laws of the U.S. in this in this fashion, but certainly uh, his case gets better. I mean, he, you know, Pete loved gambling more than baseball. He lied about it forever, and and that's problematic because um, at, at the time the rules were very strong when Pete was 
was doing his dirty business. Um, but in today's climate, when they've partnered with, with, with these people, um, it just makes Pete look a lot less um, nefarious. And, and he definitely broke rules. And, and I understand that. We've never had a chance to vote on him or against him. He's never been on our ballot. But uh, I, think, I think it's a good time for him to uh, petition for reinstatement. Would you lean one way or the other? I'd probably lean no, just because of the way the rules were at the time. So, uh, yeah, he, he flaunted it. You know, he lied. And he, he just loved that more than he loved. Much as he loved baseball, he loved that more. Do you have the same feeling about the steroid guys? Oh, yeah. I've been a hardliner on that. It's a very unpopular position, especially as time goes on, because the young guys have no issues with it. And I understand it's just different. But uh, I still go back to uh, – you know, if there's a whiff of anything about it, I just I just steer clear. I'd rather err on the side of, of um, being wrong about a guy. And, and there's there's certainly people in the Hall of Fame who, you know, broke broke those rules. Um, I'd like to think I didn't vote for any of them. And uh, that's just the way I, I've just tried to stay on that side of it, because true, if it doesn't matter, if, it, if, it, if you just say it doesn't matter, then I would I would go back and vote for all of them. Sammy Sosa, to me, there's not degrees of cheating. It's like degrees of being pregnant. It's like you, you either did or you didn't. And um, some guys cherry pick the, the cheaters and no thanks. I, I'm either all in or all out. Right now I'm all out. So while we're on the subject of baseball, let's let's get current. The state of the game, is this game in good shape or does it, has it come back to where we once thought of baseball as and its place in this country or – or do they still have work to do? Well, it's never going to be what it was, you know, certainly. I mean, in the, I mean, my gosh, you know, World War One and Two, you know, I mean, boxing and baseball and horse racing were the big things. And boxing and horse racing kind of went away and baseball slowly dissolved as well. But, you know, there's certainly last year I thought was a big progress toward getting the game back, you know, shaving 24 minutes off each game and the pace of play was better and, and, you know, they, God, they, they drew 70 million and attendance was up in many, many markets. And even and TV ratings are never going to be great anymore because of you know, the cutting of cable and the alternatives, all the channels and all that. But um, I think uh, the game's healthier than it was a few years ago. And certainly the money being thrown around to the free agents that never changes. And, and the capital gains of the, of the franchises, you know, I mean, the Red Sox were bought, you know, 20 plus years ago and they're worth like, I don't know, like 700 million becomes 4.5 billion. That's, that's pretty good capital gains. So uh, that stuff is still there. And now they're going to tie in with the gambling component and franchise will be worth even more. So I think the game's pretty healthy and I understand, you know, for young people, it's not, it's not their cup of tea by and large. And I, I mean, I get that. So, you know, baseball has to be mindful of that the, the aging constituency and the demographic getting so much so old. Uh, guys like you and me won't be there to support it in 30 years from now. So they need to um, be mindful of trying to keep a young audience. And, and you know, cutting a half hour off the games was a, a waste towards helping to do that. And they're going to have to get more active with social media and players interacting with fans and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I, but it's never it's not going to be the NFL or even the NBA. It's just it's just different. Baseball to me, Major League Baseball to me, has never done a good enough job promoting their own players because of the hard line of the owners against the Players Association, 
Whereas you see the NBA, the NFL, what they do marketing their players to me is completely different. Oh, no question. And even like what we're seeing, you know, as we talk here with the free agency period, it's so dull. Nothing happens. In the other sports, they, they shrink those windows and they have to work quickly. So they grab headlines in, in a rapid pace time and people are into it. And with baseball, it just drags on. You know, Scott Boros has one of his guys to sign. And you go into spring training and they've still been dragging for three or four months. I mean, the Red Sox claim they were going to be full throttle. They've done nothing. And, uh, and you know, but they'll say, well, there's still plenty of time. So it's just that part. It's just it's it's not with the times in those kinds of uh, areas. And, and it's never going to be again. But it's just not going to be what it was when we were growing up. And I, I, that's evolution. I accept that. And I just try to remember how great it was and lucky that uh, got to be around when it was that way. So what, what your thoughts on some of the other rules other than the pitch clock, which save, shave time off, off the games. You know, I, I kind of got into the ghost runner. I was okay with that just because I know I'm not going to be here. All if I if committed to a game on TV, you know, I didn't like the notion that you're going to have to stay up another whatever hour or two, you know, it's going to be over in an inning or two. And I like that. And I know it's artificial and all that stuff, but I, I can live with that. In fact, even in the postseason, it didn't really come up, but I, you know, I just, I'm okay with uh, moving things along there as artificial as it is. I don't know. Some of the other stuff, the, the, the throwing over is a little bit weird. The facing three, three batters thing is dead, definitely weird. Um, I didn't like the taking away the, the shift, uh, to me, you get nine defenders, you can put them where you want, but it really, you kind of forgot about it. There's a lot of these things in the pitch clock, especially was compared to like the 24 second clock in basketball. And I mean, people just forgot about the pitch clock, just the way, you know, you really pay attention to the 24 second clock more. You're kind of watching that make sure they get the shot off and, and in football, getting the playoff before the clock gets to zero. So those things are good. They're artificial, but they're okay. And, uh, and you do get used to it. And, I found myself kind of forgetting about the pitch clock and there were very few times it was, it was called into, into play by the umpires. What about, uh, did, did you ever think you'd see the day when a manager in major league baseball, and, and I don't begrudge anybody making as much money as they can, mm-hmm. but Craig console, what's he getting 7 million to go to the Cubs from Milwaukee? Yeah, that was pretty, that's going to uh, make for interesting subsequent managerial openings and, and guys may be looking to get out of where they are. Um, you know, here in Boston, we've got Alex Cora going into the final year and generally that's a lame duck thing. And the manager's upset about it. I think he's not upset about it. I think he's looks at it as an opportunity. Things don't go well. They don't support him by bringing in some help. Uh, he's probably happy to, to take a look around and, uh, market what he's got. Um, I just think that it'll change the dynamics a little bit. And you think back to, you know, the great guys, you know, we covered, you know, Earl Weaver or guys like Billy Martin, you know, what would they, Sparky Anderson, Tony La Russa, what would they command on the, on an open market? Be pretty good. Yeah. What'd you think of the $700 million deal for Otani? I, I never get too caught up in, in those dollar figures. Obviously pretty soon it'll be a billion. You're, you're seven tenths of the way there. Um, I just, you know, as we talked a little bit about the capital gains earlier, I, I, they don't pay it if they're not getting it. And, uh, you know, with, with licensing and shirts and fan interest, and it, there's a lot of, to say there. And if he ever comes back and pitches again uh, and, and can replicate any of what he did those six years with the Angels, certainly worth it to them. And uh, uh, 
good for baseball, good for interest, um, and, and a, you know, a marquee player from another another country. So, yeah, I never um, I never get into oh he's making you know fifty dollars every second you know or I, I just yeah it's a body of work and this is the price of doing business and we said it when Winfield signed forty years ago and they said it when Babe Ruth signed you know eighty years ago whatever. So yeah, I, I just uh, I don't get all knotted up in in those numbers. I mean, it, to me, it's good for baseball. If I can be the old guy standing on the porch yelling at kids to get off my lawn for a moment, I think one one of the drawbacks. And again, I do not begrudge anybody making as much money as they can. But I think if there's one drawback, and and, and you've been in the game a long time, I I was around it a long time. I think we've lost baseball lifers. We've lost Johnny Pesky's. Uh, Jimmy Reese, uh, those types in baseball, Wayne Terwilliger. We're not going to see those guys anymore, and I think that's sad. It is. I mean, you know, the the money today, you know, guys probably won't stay around the game once they're done playing. They can make, you know, a lifetime of, of income in a relatively short period of time while they're active as players. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and, you know, we've seen this with, with the scouts. I mean, the scouts have – been de-emphasized and, and, you know, analytics replacing that. So you don't have the storytelling guys. And again, part of the, <laughs> again, we are the old guys now. It's, it's somewhat generational. I notice it with, with young sports writers stuff. Nobody stays out late at, at the bar telling stories anymore. That's, that was the big fun of it. And that's how I learned so much baseball by listening to Earl Weaver and Billy Martin and Calvin Griffith, and just being a young person, listening to them tell stories and the art of storytelling and passing things down is kind of gone and, and people's attention spans aren't what they were. And, and again, this is just us old guys. It, there's no, there's no upside. Like I say, I, I kind of just embraced that. I got to do it when it was the most fun and I'm really happy and blessed with that. And, but I, I know it's evolution. I just don't, I, I can't bay at the moon about why isn't it like that anymore? Cause that's gone and it ain't coming back. It isn't part of the romance of baseball from our past your industry, the newspaper industry, and, and that's right. that has gone in decline, has it not? Sure. And that's, you know, right in lockstep with the game. I mean, you know, I mean, the Internet responsible for a lot of that and and young people. But, yeah, there's there's no value in well-crafted sports writing or, or game stories or accounts. Everybody's, you know, again, they catch it on Twitter or X or or ESPN highlights, whatever that would be. Uh, they don't rely on us. And, and that's, you know, the whole idea of players communicating directly with their fans on the internet um, and uh, teams really kind of keeping us at, at arm's length instead of inviting us in for the coverage. They don't care about that coverage anymore. It's a television product and they'd rather not have trouble. So uh, access is restricted and, I don't know. It's I don't. Baseball still has more access than the other professional sports, but uh, it's it's instead of you know talking to a guy one on one at his locker, it's it's these group things. That, you know, they bring a guy into a room, put him behind a table. Everybody gets the same answers to the same questions, and half the people in the room asking the questions are working for the team or MLB, and it's just not what it was. And again, this I don't begrudge it. I don't. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to come back or it should come back, but that's just over. So, uh, I mean, I wrote a book about traveling with the Celtics in the eighties, a Larry Bird book. It's called wish it lasted forever. I wrote it two or three years ago and it was just life with the Larry Bird Celtics and just how we 
and you lived at Troop, you know, we're on the buses waiting for bags together and, you know, see guys at the bar late at night or, and uh, go to practice on the bus, just always with them and able to tell the readers what they were like. And today's guys can't do that. They're not around Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. There's a moat, you know, and they're traveling private jets and staying at five-star hotels and there's, there's no mixing and um, there's, there's too much separation and that's just different. So those, the book that I wrote about those Celtics, no one's ever going to do any books like that anymore because they just aren't around them to know what they're like. One final thought on baseball before we jump to the NBA, if it's a TV industry and I, I agree and, and the Yankees and the Red Sox are not what they once were, Will that hurt the product? Are they going to accept the Rangers or the Mariners or the Cincinnati Reds or the Atlanta Braves? What what impact does does the big market teams if the Dodgers go down? What sure. what's the impact there? Well, I still think that you know, I mean, the TV ratings are never going to be what they were, but it still suffers when you get the Rays in in the World Series or Arizona in the World Series. It's just you know, you yeah, I mean, the Dodgers, Red Sox, Yankees, Mets, Cubs. Braves, those are still the ones that are better for baseball to have them in there because there's just more of a baseball audience to follow them and more of a national audience of folks who either live there or for one reason or another follow those teams um, and have allegiance. And the Colorado Rockies don't inspire that, and neither do the Rays or this, most teams don't. So the parity is good for parity, but it's not good for ratings. And, and if they care about ratings, uh, they always want the, the marquee franchises in there. Since you mentioned your book on the Celtics, let's jump on the NBA for a moment. What did you What did you think of the uh, in-season tournament, and why did we have it? Well, you know, this is Adam Silver, who's innovative, and he loves soccer, and it's a very soccer-like thing. And I, I have no interest. It, I've never understood. Basketball has done better with the globalization of its sport. The NBA, David Stern started this in the 80s, and he started it took us right up to the dream team in Barcelona in 92. And that, that was, that's been good. And basketball's played in Europe and South America and China. So good for them. And those guys are stars internationally, global stars. So I think it, it's worked for them with that, but that tournament was ridiculous. And I mean, obviously the hideous floors, you know, were kind of startling to see. And, and I just, uh, I couldn't invest any emotion in it. I just, I just ignored it especially once the Celtics got bounced from it. And, you know, I, it was weird starting times the last weekend in Vegas and Lakers won and all that. And the Lakers have raised a banner there and in season NBA cup, whatever it is. So, yeah, I have just no interest for it. No time for it. it you know, we noticed certain things where, you know, the way it encouraged running up the score to qualify and those sorts of things. And that's very soccer. Uh, that's the model for that. But, They'll, they'll tweak some of that stuff out of it. But it's I'm sure it's here to stay. And, you know, for the guys who won, some of the bench guys, a that, that, lot of money makes a difference for them. So good for them. And it didn't really hurt anybody. Uh, so I just paid little attention to it. Is it fair to say the game you covered traveling with the Celtics in the 80s is different from the NBA game we see today? Well, it's, it's not even the same sport. I mean, the three-point thing – and again, I was around a lot of three-point shooters. I mean, Larry Bird, Danny Ainge, Scott Wedman, Jerry Seasting, those guys could bury it from international waters, but uh, it, they just didn't take them. And, you know, now the analytics and, I don't know, it's just, it just doesn't offer a lot of flow 
coming down and jacking up threes in the perimeter and, you know, absence of lows post game, absence of pick and rolls, give and go, you know, the white picket fence, all that stuff. It's just, you know, if you want to see that, you got to watch the women play. They still play the game like the men played in the fifties and sixties. Um, but that's, you know, it's also grounded. It's, it's not over the rim and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, NBA, I just, it's, I have little appetite for regular season NBA. It's just, we have, you know, there's a really good team here in Boston. So I need to pay attention to that and expect they'll be in the final four. It's as they have been five times in seven years, they got a good team. So I need to be on top of that. And I like the playoffs and you know, we'll go to Miami. We'll go to Philly. We'll go to Milwaukee, the usual tour there and hopefully end up in Denver or LA or something in the finals. So I'll be on that. But, uh, but the actual game itself and, and going up and down the floor, it's just, yeah, we, we, we've lost a lot there. And you can always go back and look at those highlights, the 86 Celtics and the way they passed the ball. And, and just, uh, it was a lot more grace to it. And, and, you know, the rules were different too. They could, they could knock one around in the low post. So you had that as well. So yeah, it's uh, too much, uh, just kind of playground ball and jacking up threes. It's, it's hard to watch. Go back to those Celtics teams of, of the 1980s, and everybody knows how great a player Larry Bird, Larry Bird was. How would you rank him as a competitor? Well, he was right up, right, right there with anybody I've ever seen. I mean, he had great uh, – he was a great trash talker and, and had great confidence and imposed his will on, on the game, on the opponent, on his teammates. Uh, as good as I've seen with that that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, he was he was right there, and, and he certainly maximized his his ability and um, played in a, at a time when, you know, he and Magic kind of saved the league in the beginning part of the 79-80, and, and uh, I thought that the Celtic-Laker thing in the mid-'80s, that was like the Ali Frazier of that sport. It was as good as it ever got, and it kind of gave birth to Michael Jordan and gave birth to the Dream Team and, and all the – all the riches and success they have now is kind of owed to that. And, and I'm old enough to remember growing up here when the Celtics, when they had the Russell teams and, you know, 11 and 13 years and eight in a row and all that stuff. So we were really spoiled and, and they played a great brand of ball and had the greatest coach and GM of all time. And, and like some of those teams, it was like one team with like nine hall of famers. It's crazy what, what they had there. Did you catch the HBO uh, series on, on the Lakers? Yeah. Yeah. What did you uh, think? What'd you think? I mean, it was entertaining. It was, it was kind of silly in a lot of ways and they, they were loose with the facts all over the place. And I actually had a chance to, to play a part in that. And I declined it because it was just too distasteful what they wanted me to do. And um, so I, my cameo was in the, I, I declined a chance to go out there and do a cameo. And I, I did enjoy watching it. I wish it had been continued, but I understand, you know, it was wildly unfair to a lot of guys, you know, especially, I mean, you know, I mean, Jerry West just got you know, that felt actionable <laughs> what they did to him. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of uh, loose with the facts, and it's just entertainment. But it was entertaining. What what do you what are your thoughts on LeBron James? I'm kind of uh, a, a fan, big fan of LeBron James. I think he's underrated, and I think um, I think he's better than Jordan, and I think uh, he's the greatest player. I mean. It would be it would be Chamberlain or or LeBron for me, and Jordan would be the probably the bronze medal, which is I realize that's some sort of a cardinal sin against basketball, but um, I mean Chamberlain had those numbers and had the body, and and uh, they changed so many rules for him, but nobody remembers him. He doesn't come in anybody's top twenty anymore, so I understand that. And uh, 
But yeah, LeBron, I mean, to me, he's the way he's playing at this age, he's what, 38, 39 now and, and uh, takes care of himself. And, you know, that six, eight guy can put it to the floor and has the ball in his hands all the time. And he, he passes too much. I mean, he, you know, he's, he thinks pass all the time too much. So in my view, you know, I don't like the posing and, you know, some of his statements aren't great, but he's, you know what, he's, he's never been arrested. He's never committed crimes. You know, uh, he's, he's presents to be a, a good family guy and a parent and, and he just, I think he's, you know, he started those schools and stuff and he takes a lot of grief and I understand it, but yeah, I think too much. So I think we should appreciate the greatness more than we do. Are the best players, uh, the top, let's say two or three players in the game today in the NBA, foreign players? Yeah. I, I, you know, I know that, uh, you know, the kid in Denver, the kid in Dallas, you know, those guys are clearly, we just don't see them a lot. And, uh, but, you know, when you win two straight MVPs the way they've done, uh, that, that tells you tells you a lot. And um, that's that's formidable. I mean, it's funny about that MVP thing because only the only guys who've won three in a row are Bird, Chamberlain, and Russell. Quite sure that's true. Even Jordan, I could win two and then he'd get, <laughs> take a year off and win two more or whatever. But no one else has won three in a row. And But, but I think that both, uh, you know, um, both the Dallas kid and the Denver kid, I think they're one had two and the other one's at two now. What about, uh, does, does the NBA have a, have a, an image problem when you see what Draymond Green is doing and, yeah. and, and some of the off the fields, off the court stuff that we've yeah, heard I mean, about with some of the players? It's unfortunate. I mean, he's, he's been a good role player, part of that championship dynasty they've had there. And, and uh, they, they've let a lot of stuff go with him and, We've always had knuckleheads in the league. I mean, you know, I mean, Rodman, Rodman certainly qualified for that in a lot of ways all those years ago when he was playing. And, and, uh, but this is, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty over the top. But I, I don't know. If you go back into the 50s, like Red Auerbach punched out the owner of the St. Louis Hawks before a game. So stuff. Yeah, he did. Red punched him before a game. Yep. Fines were levy. That was about it. But today it would be a big thing. Yeah, I'd say it'd be a big thing today. <laughs> speaking of speaking of owners, let's let's jump over to the uh, to the NFL and and Jerry Jones and his Dallas Cowboys. They're they're hot, and then they lose a game. And uh, uh, I, I wonder if they've got what it takes to get to the Super Bowl. What do you think? Well, they seem to have trouble on the road. And I mean, again, I'm not an expert, but that it. Teams have, you know, there's been flavor of the month right now, and it was the Eagles for a while, and then it was the Cowboys for a while, and, of course, the Niners are it now, and I know the Ravens have it going too. I was at that Super Bowl with the Niners and Ravens and the Harbaugh brothers, and it was in New Orleans. It was one of my favorite things. I mean, that's when uh, Kaepernick was was the next the next thing at quarterback of the Niners then, and um, Flacco was MVP. That was just a good one. So right now I'd, I'd put those two in the Super Bowl, but – I don't know. I, I still secretly, of course, I want the Lions to get there since they've only won one playoff game since 1957. I'd like to see that come to fruition for them. And uh, it looks to me like the NFC is a little stronger, um, but the AFC is up for grabs. Kansas City is really interesting because of in Mahomes and the talent they have. But uh, I, 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 I would definitely take the Niners right now just because of the way they're playing. And, and Dallas can't win on the road. And that's like the three and four on the road, I think. So that's tough. 
is John Harbaugh overlooked for what he's done with the Ravens? I would agree with that. I don't know what that is. And he's, he's much nicer than his brother too. So I don't know why people don't give him more. I love that guy. And and I, I think he's come up uh, aces in every level and I would want him coaching my son. And, and I think he's been, yeah, I agree. It's I, I appreciate you saying that. I think that's absolutely true. How about the Eagles? They look like they're going to run away with the NFC for a while, and all of a sudden, they've done more than stub their toe. Yeah, they're flawed. I, I don't. I mean, obviously, the quarterback's not having the year that he had last year, and he's turned the ball over a lot more. And um, and their defense is. I mean, the geez, Jerry, the Patriots almost beat them opening opening weekend which tells you something. So that right then I'm thinking these guys aren't that good. And uh, they just moved Patricia into the defensive coordinator position. And that didn't do a lot of good for him last night. That was, that that's tough to give up a 93 yard drive at that juncture of the game. So uh, yeah, I, they just, they can't finish whatever it is. So I, I, I always like it when they're good. Cause I love their fans and I love the city and it's just more fun when, when they're good. I, I'm more into them being good than the Cowboys being good, which is always a good thing for the sport too. You know, like we talked about baseball with the Yankees, the Cubs and Mets and Sox and all that. So yeah, Cowboys, that's a, that's a signature franchise for, for the sport. There is a lot of talk and I know you've heard it on Bill Belichick. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, we live with this every day here, Troop. And um, I, I, it feels like it's over and I feel badly that it's, it's ending this way for him in new England. Uh, it's just been undignified and, and um, uh, he's just getting hammered daily. And of course he doesn't push back and he's still got the intransigent style and that's not good. And the owner's not saying anything. And, and uh, you know, they're three and 11, they're going to lose, you know, they might beat the jets the last week. And that could be a, you know, I mean, the, the whole notion of tanking, it's hard to know. They got the two pick right now. It's just, uh, and they've had a lot of close games, but he, he's still, He's coaching like it's the 50s with the leather helmets and and just field position and three yards in a cloud of dust. And I didn't, he was punting on, you know, he's down three scores. He's punting with, you know, fourth and three from the 42, the fourth quarter. I just, that's, that's not, that's not cutting it anymore. And, but it's, it's, we're going to have to keep reminding ourselves how great he was. And I always thought I'm, I'm big on the coach being integral part of that. And Brady's getting all the credit now. And I think that's, that's unfair. I mean, cause there was, I was there and Bill used to give him a big edge, you know, on a weekly basis. Cause the other guy across the field would look, look over there and just freeze and make stupid mistakes. And uh, you can take that right up to the Super Bowl when they beat Seattle and in, uh, in Glendale that time, just the Malcolm Butler play at the end and, and Pete Carroll freezing and all that. So I, he's, I think Belichick's the greatest coach in the history of that sport. And uh, it's just tough to see the way this is unfolding here. And I've certainly joined the chorus. It's just, it's, you know, and, and a lot of it's, they just don't have the talent troop and he's, he's drafted poorly and he's surrounded himself with cronies and family and, and it, it's not working and uh, they need to, they need to change. I believe. It is, is that the bottom line really in sports? We talk about, well, this coach or this manager, they're, they're a genius but it takes the players. If you don't have the players, I don't think you're going to win anywhere. Yeah. It's, I mean, clearly basketball to me is, is the, the definition of that. I mean, you, you know, you've got to have the players. You just can't do it. Uh, in baseball, you know, that's the old, you know, I think it was the Warren Spahn quote. He played for Casey Stengel before and after he was a genius and, and um, you know, so, but football, I've always thought, 
you know, the coach can make a difference because there's 22 guys and there's so much going on out there. And, and, uh, but what we're seeing now, it's, it just feels like Bill got set in his ways and hasn't kept up. And, and again, only wanting to work with people that he really knows. And it's just, it's just gotten tired here and, uh, you know, letting Matt Patricia and Joe judge run the offense last year. And I don't know, just his special teams guys, not very good. And he's loyal to these crony guys and, and, uh, you know, he has a good life. He makes a barrel of money and he's got two sons in the staff and been here 24 years. And he was never questioned at all until the last year or two, but it's just, uh, He's going to have to live with this. You never won without Brady thing now. Not only that, but you didn't, you lost without Brady. It was, he's not even 500 without Brady and, and just abysmal record. So that's, I think he would like to go someplace else and rectify that. Is, is the role that he's holding here, coach GM, if you will, is it now too big a role where just you should concentrate on one or the other? Feels like it. It's certainly a big role, and but you know he's always been a you know twenty four seven guy, and and uh, it just feels like he hasn't kept up, and you know he values things that aren't valued as much anymore, special teams, you know, and field position, and he's sort of devalued skill position guys and wide receivers and quarterbacks even. So it's just uh, it's the times have evolved, and he really hasn't. And uh, again, tough way. Tough way to see it wind down here after all the greatness. The guy took him to nine Super Bowls. I know Brady was quarterback for all those, but nine Super Bowls and 17 division titles, which was helped by the fact that the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins were bad every year. So all that stuff conspired to give them, you know, they really had a double dynasty. It was a little dip in the middle, but they were never bad like they are now. Allegedly, Tom Brady is going to uh, become a broadcaster at some point for Fox and we have seen or we have heard or we have read where Brady has leveled some criticism recently about the, the way the game is played. And then there was one just uh, today or yesterday about some of the fines and suspensions that have been handed out. Do you, mm-hmm. do you foresee him being that guy that's going to be able to be critical of, yeah. of players once he gets behind a microphone? No, I do not. Um, you know, and I, I still have doubts that he'll ever – assume that position. I don't know how they're going to wait, you know, he's trying to be a part owner of the Raiders and do this. And I just, I don't think, why would he take a year to not just get into that this year? I don't even understand that, but, and he was always very conservative with his commentary with us and respectful. And that's nice. I just think he doesn't want to offend a lot of people. He's done some general statements, but I don't like to hear him complaining about protecting the quarterbacks too much, the players too much. I mean, he brought on a lot of that. And, uh, and he was ended up playing a sport that was unrecognizable to the sport that he came into. You know, when, you know, Bradshaw and Jim Plunkett and those guys would get knocked around, there's a reason you didn't play until you were 44 when those guys played because they were football players who got hit. And it, it turned into flag football during Tom's time, and he had a lot to do with that. And I understand that. They still get hurt. They, they need the quarterbacks to sell the game and to make the game good. But uh, we've, we've seen so many ridiculous calls with that. And, so I like when he calls out that style, but he's just not the guy to do it because so much of it's owed to to protecting him in his time and him benefiting and being able to play till 44 because he wasn't playing contact sport. Tom Brady, the player, could you put him or would you put him on a competitive level shoulder to shoulder with Larry Bird? I think you have to because of the level of success. And, and again, he – 
he wasn't gifted, you know, he didn't have the armor of Marino or, or some of the, you know, the weapons of some of these guys. And he just was there every year. It was a perfect combination. And yeah, those comebacks, fourth quarter comebacks, the confidence. And it was weird for a guy who you know, kind of grew up privileged and was good at baseball. He was drafted by the Expos. And, and of course, we all know that, you know, sixth round pick number 199 and disrespected. He you know, had trouble starting at Michigan and all the hurdles he had and, and, and somehow evolved into this, the greatest quarterback the sport's ever known. And, and it wasn't because he was as fast like Michael Vick or again, had the cannon. There wasn't even much downfield game a lot of those years. Uh, So yeah, I I think you do have to put him there. And, you know, Larry only won three, you know, Tom, that's Tom's working on seven. That's a lot. Larry Bird was prolific as a basketball player. Tom Brady was prolific as an NFL quarterback. Dan Shaughnessy, prolific as a columnist and an author. How many books? You mentioned the Celtics book, but how many books have you uh, written? Yeah, there's 13. I mean, I, you know, I started doing them in the 80s. And I've been around, you know, all baseball, basketball. I've just been around a lot of great teams and, and individuals and you know, covering sports in the Boston market during the period that I've been privileged to do it. It's just absolutely um, the best t- best place to do what we do. And uh, we have the best readers, the best fans, and great teams with institutions and traditions. And it's all here. So, uh, yeah, I feel very blessed to have um, worked when I have in this market. You working on anything now? I don't think so, Troop. I'm I'm tired. You know, I mean, I just do the, I just, I just do the columns, and I'd have a hard time getting motivated. The Celtic book was a pandemic thing. We were home all the time, and guys were home. We could get guys, and I've been telling those bar stories about them for forty years. So I was really happy I did that, and I did one with Tito after he got fired here with Francona, and that was a really fun book and did really well. And those, I expect those to be the last two. We talk sports, but we're really in the people business, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. And again, so many great ones. And, uh, and that's that's the best part. I mean, you know, you know, and I traveled with you those years and just, you know, just again, bumping into guys late at night at the bar and swapping stories. And, and just, you know, I mean, it, it, when you've done that, you, you have you have an ex- a shared experience that no one else can really understand or replicate. And I feel very blessed to have had it. And Shaughnessy, you are a Hall of Famer. You're uh, an outstanding writer and enjoy every conversation I've ever had with you, including this one. We thank you so much. Wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and continue good health and, and good success. Thank you for the time. Same to you, Troop. Good luck with the podcast and Merry Christmas to all. Thank you. Dave D'Agostino, take us home. Jerry, wonderful interview as usual. And Dan, what an honor to have you on our network. We appreciate which you gave our audience uh, that certainly helped us close in on 62. I may have to raise the bar after this interview to the audience because I think we're going to get a lot of new listeners in the Boston area. To that audience, uh, again, that challenge, uh, we got you, we asked you to get to 60. You did it early, so we're asking you to get to 62 before Christmas. You guys know what to do. won't be hard to give this one five stars and write some great comments. It'll help us bottle, battle the podcast world analytics just like they do in Major League Baseball. Blackout Coffee's on Jerry Trupiano this month and all of 2024. Jerry, give us your code one more time. Uh, t 20 capital J-E-R-R-T-20. I don't know where he's getting the money from, but coffee's on Jerry from now till next December. 20% off at checkout Blackout Coffee if you use his code. 
and to our great friend Ted Kubiak, very first guest on this podcast. We're on episode 393. We've had him on twice, three-time World Series champion with the Oakland A's. Two great books for your baseball lover, Old School, and How to Field a Ground Ball. Should be on every baseball lover's shelf. With that, on the record with Jerry Trupiano, with Dan Shaughnessy. Thanks so much, audience. We'll see you next time.